sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to remind us all that the clutch meter is a real thing. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are drinking Pink Drink by High Wire Brewing. I'm not into sours, and this is a sour ale. So going by my awesome friends on Untapped, we have a garage grade of three and three-quarter bottle caps out of five. This is a sour ale that is light, fruity, sweet, and of course, sour and tart. If you're looking for pink drink where you buy your favorite beverages, you can't miss it. It's the one in the bright pink can. And this week's beer was brought to us by some very good friends of the G-Raj. First up, cheers to Amy in Louisville, Kentucky. And from beautiful parts unknown, we have Elena and Marjorie. Let's give a big shout out to a great member of the True Crime Garage Army. Cheers to Lewis from Fairbanks, Alaska. And a big cheers, mates, to Michelle and Augusta, Maine. Next, we have Bridget in beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. And a big high five to fellow lush Abigail out there somewhere in the unknown. And last but not least, a shout to Dylan, who says he's been listening so much, he feels like he's being held hostage in the garage. Well, thanks to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week's show. If you want to help us out with next week's shows, go to truecrimegarage.com and just click on that little donate button. And make sure you follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at True Crime Garage. And that is enough of the beers, Neos. Okay, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. All right, Captain, I want to get into the composite sketches, the sketches that were made of our suspect in the Amy Mahalovic abduction, which turns to murder. So we have an interesting situation here in this case, and I've seen it from time to time in some other cases, but I want to point out that I find this to be very rare. It's very rare that this occurrence happens. So in this case, in Amy's case, Shortly after she is abducted, there is a composite sketch that is released to the public via newspapers. And this is kind of the best way to describe this sketch. What we would later learn is that early on when this composite was released, this is based off of two separate eyewitness accounts, two of Amy's peers. So two children I believe both of them were 11 years old. 
that saw a man approach Amy and then lead her away. Initially, what they did is they collected all that information from both of these eyewitnesses and they made one single composite drawing based off of that information. Later, what happens is we have the FBI releases two composite sketches based on two eyewitnesses of the suspect wanted in the October 27th disappearance of 10-year-old Amy Mahalovic. We went through the brief description in yesterday's show, but the suspect was described as 30 to 35 years old, between 5 foot 8 and 5 foot 10 inches tall, of medium build with dark hair, possibly curly hair, with a bald spot on top in the rear, like top rear of the head, with a trace of a beard growth, and possibly wearing round glasses and a tan jacket. So what we need to point out here is that we have two young individuals giving this eyewitness account, and both of them are not spot on with each other. Right. So we have one that says, yes, wearing glasses. Another that says no. One that says a trace of a beard. One that says wearing a tan jacket. So that's why I think they did their due diligence here. They could have just rock and rolled with that one composite drawing that they had from the get-go. But I think that would have been irresponsible. Yeah, but it's not like the Delphi murders where drawing one and drawing two are, are almost completely different. These are pretty similar. Similar in likeness and and to be honest with you, if that's why I think the first one is just kind of a mash of the, the two eyewitness accounts. Because actually, if we want to label these composite sketch one, two, and three, they're all somewhat similar. But to be clear, these eyewitnesses are not saying this is more than one man that they saw with Amy that day at the shopping plaza. Right. This is just two different individuals giving what they believe that they saw from their vantage points on that afternoon. So I think the key thing to do here is to really kind of hone in on the similarities between the three composite sketches to really hone in on the things that that are all the same, right? Because that to me would point out the truths to these eyewitness accounts where some of these items are speculative. One thing I think you should really hone in on is the age, right? So 30 to 35 years of age. Now, of course, age is always very hard to detect, especially from 11-year-old children that are not, they're not up front and center looking at this guy. You know, they're a little bit a ways away from Amy when this happens. Right, but I would guess that they would guess older if the gentleman looked older, that they would guess. You know what I mean? Like when you're a kid, you, you almost think all adults are older than they are. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. But I think the interesting thought there for me has always been the, the one girl, Maddie, who reports this man that she saw talking to Amy. She makes the assumption that it's Amy's father. Now, Maddie does not know Amy's father. She's not saying or ever has said that was Mark Mahalovic that was there that day at the shopping plaza that Amy left with. She's never, that's, not the story at all. What she's saying at the time is the man to me as a child didn't look out of place. Amy didn't behave strangely when he walked up to her. He spoke to her and then they walked away. She just made the assumption that it must be Amy's father. But I want to carry that thought and that assumption one step further where we have two eyewitnesses who say the man was probably between roughly between 30 to 35 years of age. Well, keep in mind, Amy's 10, all right? I don't know Mark Mahalovic's age, but my situation, my father's like 25 years older than me. So that would fall into that that range, right? To, he's of the right age to, to make the assumption that it could be her father. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about had any of these kids thought that they saw, like you said, a much older man or a much younger man. I don't think Maddie would have ever made that assumption. So I feel like there's a lot of truth and there's a lot of weight to that thought that this individual is very likely 30 to 35 years of age. Now, Amy was missing for just over 100 days before her body was found. This length 
of time has caused much debate about when Amy was killed and when she was dumped there in that field. Now, thank God that stranger to child abductions are extremely rare. The ones that end in murder typically end in murder within just a couple of hours to about 48 hours after the abduction. But we must keep in mind that this stranger to child abduction, the case of Amy Mahalovic, is very much unlike the others that are out there. Almost all stranger to child abductions are simply put crimes of opportunity. Some sicko drives around looking for an opportunity, looking for a small victim that fits whatever criteria that they are looking for, probably preferably alone. And then the result is either talking that child into their vehicle or dragging that child into their vehicle. None of that happened here. Now, citizens in the area of where Amy's body was found, people who drove that, that county road, people who walked, jogged, lived near County Road 1181. When her body was found, they were adamant that Amy must have been dumped in that field very recently, shortly before she was found. Their thought is that how could all these people travel this road or people live in this area and not have seen the body that was just simply 18 feet or so from the road itself. Right. We do have sheriffs and and detectives and investigators who have said, look, it would not have been, it would not have been incredibly hard to see her body. But if you were driving on that road, you would have to be looking really in that spot at the right time to see her. The, the land, because the landscape is such that if if you do like an overhead look of, of that day of the, that portion of the of this case's crime scene you you wonder how the hell was she not located much earlier yeah but i think what they're trying to get to is the idea that that you would spot something from the road you just wouldn't know what that something was well janet siebold who found her i believe her initial reaction or her initial thought to when she spotted something in the field was I think she said that she thought it was just like a pile of snow. Mm-hmm. Like there was nothing discernible about it to her immediately. But I, I, I would love for Janet Seabold to go further on record about that day. I will say this in her defense, from everything I could find, she's been extremely traumatized by this event in her life. And I would love to know more in detail of what she was thinking and and every little minute detail of her thoughts along the way. From the time of this thing caught my eye to I moved closer and realized it was a body. But you said, you also said it's what, 50 some miles from the mall? Yeah, 48.6 miles according to the FBI's website. And I was telling you, because I was doing some traveling this last weekend, it was frustrating traveling because it was like, you have 52 miles to go, an hour and 10 minutes, you know, where normally if you're on the freeway that, you know, you got 60 minutes to go, it's going to take you an hour. So it was a little bit longer than you're used to because their back roads and I would assume, you know, that, but this is an hour or so away and that really starts making you question. Yes. The calls are coming within a certain area code, but does that mean anything or does that just mean that this murderer lives in that area, but works, uh, or works in that area lives somewhere else? Uh, did he know these back roads? Did he know the location in which she was dropped? That's always been an interesting angle for me. You know, I, I, I said a long time ago when we first covered this case, what was that, two, two and a half years ago when we spoke to James Renner? Feels about like it. five years ago. At the time, I was working a, a job where it required me to drive all over the state of Ohio. So I got sent to Bay Village a few times for work. And the job was such that I would leave. I never overnighted anywhere. I would leave from Columbus in the morning, 
do whatever jobs they sent me out on and return to Columbus before the end of the day. So on one of these trips to Bay Village, I ended up finishing up quite early and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a roundabout way of getting back to Columbus. And my, my choice of route was to go from the shopping center to that County road, right. 1181, where her body was found. And so I drove that and I'm clocking the miles as I went through there. And it took me 55 minutes to get there, which is, which based off of the speed limit is actually faster in travel than if I would have obeyed the speed limit. Okay. So I think that if you follow the speed limit, it's about a little over an hour, hour and six or an hour and 10, something like that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going incredibly fast, but to your point, the thing that, that really started to get to me about 35, 40 minutes into the drive. And I'm not, I'm still miles away from the location at this point. I kept thinking, man, I feel like I've, this is a a long trip from point A to point B. And I don't have anything in my car that's going to make the trip feel longer. I don't have a live victim or a dead victim in my, in my vehicle. And so I think you're right there on something. And I think that there is a lot of truth and weight to what you've just said. There's got to be some kind of connection or reason to be traveling in this direction. Now, for no reason at all, would we ever think that she went immediately from the shopping center to directly to this area where she was later found. Right. Because we have investigators saying that there is no evidence no evidence whatsoever to suggest that she was killed in that location. So she was assaulted and killed elsewhere. Could it have been in a van or a vehicle? That's not out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Personally, looking at this case, as long as I have, I've always kind of believed that the Friday, her being abducted on a Friday was, is significant. Right. Like I said, if they worked in that area, you make the call Thursday while you're at work, right? Because the call came in on the Thursday. Well, we don't know for certain when the call came in, but it could have come in Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday. Right, but it's coming during the week, during work, and then Friday, got heading back to where I'm, where I live, and so I'm going to take her on the way. Well, and think about this. I, I think it's probably working there is not out of the realm of possibility. I think it might be more likely that the person was living or staying somewhere in that area or at least that would cause them to travel that direction. You know what I mean? From Bay Village. So Yeah, it also makes you wonder too because there is this gap from the abduction time to where they find her. And that makes me question and, and have always questioned, did this person, because there was so much attention in that area, did they feel the heat? And then did they, did they end up moving? Mm-hmm. That could be very likely because the problem there is you have these composite sketches out and really what the police were getting once they released the composite sketch They were getting all kinds of tips. They were getting all kinds of calls. The problem with those calls is they're all lookalike calls. Well, why do you think that so-and-so is a good suspect? Well, he looks like you're drawing. Oh, well, what else? Well, that's it. He looks like the sketch that you released. And we have police on record saying, when we get these tips, we need more than just a name. We need, we need, you know, we're getting so many of them, right? We need reasons to prioritize certain tips over others. We need, we need a car description, even though there was none from the eyewitnesses. Well, just, we need a color of a car. We need, but on top of that, give us a, give us a reason why other than he looks like the sketch. Well, and that's the same with when you look at like the Dior case, right? Everybody that saw a, a young blonde-haired boy called, mm-hmm. 
And and it's like, well, that's not enough. We need we need, you know, point one, point two, point three for us to be able to track down all these leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the thing too, back to the Friday. I think that the Friday, her being abducted on a Friday is significant. And here's why. One thing we need to focus in on is the abductor chose that day. Amy didn't choose that day. The abductor chose that day. Can you meet me at the shopping center on Friday? I'll pick you up then and we can go shopping for a gift for your mother. And I say that that is significant because we have to keep in mind when this person is trying to convince his victim to meet him somewhere, he is designing all this. This is all by his design. This is all his modus operandi. Yeah. You wonder if he works a half day on a Friday or if it's easier for him to take a half day because it, it seems like a very odd time. She's going to get there about three o'clock. Yep. She got there approximately two. She was seen with this man around two forty-five. Yeah. And I know the song, the lyrics go working nine to five. What a way to make a living. So you would just assume that this, you know, or do they have a job where they're able to leave for a while? Like, do they make deliveries or something? Well, I think possibly the reason for the Friday more so than others could be what he does not have to do or be accounted for after the time of the abduction. Right. Okay. So if it is a sexually motivated crime, which you and I both believe it to be, then that would require his motivation requires him to not be accounted for after the abduction takes place. Yeah. I mean, he can't go back to work with a giant boner. Well, that, no, that's not what I mean. It's, it's somebody was not where they were supposed to be. Right. Well, why, why could that, that does not mean that they simply put, if there, if someone is where they are not where they are supposed to be, then that and that's a red flag immediately makes them a suspect. Yeah. Oh, you had all these obligations and all this stuff that was going on and boom, this kid is abducted and then nobody hears from you. You drop off of the planet for 16, 24, 72 hours. Right. And if you don't know how this abduction is going to go down, then if you have to work, you know, you don't do the abduction on a Thursday, knowing that you have to work on the Friday, knowing that if something goes wrong and you show up to work late you you see what i'm saying because we've seen that with several cases where people that have become number one suspects were showing up to work late the next day or calling off the next day well and then this leads us to what ends up being a fourth composite sketch drawing of a possible suspect because this is an interesting tip that comes in there is a woman that, that called in and said, Hey, I saw somebody standing by a vehicle around five fifty six PM near the spot where Amy's body was found. And I saw this individual standing at the rear of their vehicle with the, it was like a hatchback type vehicle with the hatch open. And this was the night before her body was found. So this individual is calling in a tip and this kind of goes along with some of the locals thoughts of, well, if she was in that field for this, for a hundred days, we would have seen her well before then. So she couldn't have been, she had to been placed there shortly before she was found. And now this tip comes in saying, look, I saw this individual the night before. Yeah. And who was she found by? Right. A runner. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're, you're going to tell me that this, I'm assuming she's an avid runner. Well, she says she was on her daily early morning job. Right. She would have saw her, and and that makes the most sense. Well, but I want to argue a few different points on this. I'm actually not in agreement with this this tip one or with the thought that she was not in that field for a long period of time because of a couple things. One, she's found on February 8th, okay? Um, It's pretty cold. In northeast 
or Northeastern Ohio right. in January and in February and December. So how daily is this daily early morning jog? Is this, you know, she's out jogging on a day that was particularly warm for early February. So, you know, Janet, that's, that's again, other parts that need to be talked about with Janet Siebold, who ultimately found Amy Mahalovic's body. Were you out jogging the day before? Did you jog the whole week before? And so on and so forth. Because I, I get what they're saying, and I can't agree with some of that, but I can also see a situation where she's not found for this amount of time. Keep in mind, we have that plant growth that would suggest that she had been in that field for a good amount of time. Now, the composite that goes out of this man seen by the hatchback vehicle the night before her body is found, the woman said that she saw a 25 to 35 year old white man about six foot tall with a thin face and very thin complexion or very light complexion standing behind a dark blue hatchback car around 6 p.m. The hatch was open and the man had his hands on the car's back bumper. So they released a completely different sketch. This individual does not look anything like the first three composite sketches that were released. But Here's, here's the big but. This information does not make its way to investigators for months and months and months after Amy was found. So I don't question what this woman believes that she saw. What my first question would be is, why do you believe that you saw this the night before her body was found? When asked why she didn't come forward with this information sooner, because I think it was like December. So we have, what, 10 months after the body's found before she comes forward? Mm -hmm. When asked why she didn't come forward sooner, she simply says, I didn't know that this information was useful. There's a chance she, she may not have fully known where the body was found until a later date and then said, aha, aha. Got him. I got some information, but again, the first thing I would want to know from that witness as an investigator is tell me why you are certain that it was February 7th that you saw this man. Yeah. I have a hard time with uh, witnesses coming forward so far after the fact. Well, a lot of people can't tell you what they had for dinner last week. So now was there something significant about that day? Can, can you pull out your daily planner or your calendar and say, oh, oh, I had this errand to do and I marked it on my calendar and that's the only time I've ever been on, on Route 1181. And so it must have been February 7th when I saw that individual. Or was that day your birthday? Or something of significance for you to really know and remember. Remember that it was February 7th. So I question not what she believes she saw, but I question when she may have saw this. There's a chance she could have saw this individual in March or January or what have you and just has the day wrong. It's only significant, this eyewitness account, if in fact it was shortly before Amy's body was found. The other thing I want to point out here too is sunset, that time of year in Ohio, is between 5.30 and 5.50 p.m. If she saw this individual around 6 p.m. out on a county road, it's going to be quite dark out there. It's going to be very dark out there. I can't speak to what lights may have been on on this individual's hatchback vehicle, but just pointing that out there. Here's where I think there is another possibility that the killer, the Amy's killer, once again gets lucky that there's this bad tip that comes in very late in the game of an individual that looks nothing like the individual that was spotted that day at the shopping center. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. 
IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
All right, we're back, you crazy pirates. That we are. Now, here is another instance where the show that you and I love so much, Mind Hunter, creeps into another yet another one of our cases. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the reason why that happens so often, one is our love of the show. Two, more importantly, is John Douglas and Robert K. Ressler the two individuals that the main characters are based off of and based off of their careers, mm-hmm. they worked and were involved in so many cases. Now the FBI itself was very involved in Amy's case immediately. There have been some people that have questioned that and thought that maybe that means that there was different motive for her abduction. I want everybody to keep in mind. Yes. The, the, the FBI becomes involved when crimes occur and cross state lines. That happens. That didn't happen in this case. As far as we know, she was likely not only abducted and dumped in Ohio, but likely killed in Ohio as well. The thought here though, is that you need to keep in mind that the FBI becomes involved when it's clear that it is a kidnapping case. Okay. Where there is abduction involved. So the FBI was involved in this case very quickly. And even the local authorities, as soon as Margaret Mahalovic reported Amy is missing, they hit Jump Street, right? They went right in and said, this is an abduction. This child is missing. This child didn't run away. We, they went looking for her and looking for this man very quickly. So through the course of this, with the FBI involvement, working with local law enforcement, They're trying to find this individual. Now, this type of incident happens from time to time, and I find this fascinating and very interesting. So we have two special agents, okay? We have special agent John Dunn and Dick Wren, all right? These two are working with local authorities on the Amy Mahalovic case. Robert K. Ressler visits Ohio for some type of seminar or some kind of conference at the American Academy of Forensics Science Sciences. And this was in Cincinnati. So when he is in Ohio, these other special agents reach out to the great and very knowledgeable Robert K. Ressler. And they say, Hey, would you mind taking a look at this case while you're in Ohio? And Ressler actually has ties to the city of Cleveland. Now, when you graduate from the FBI Academy and you go on to work uh, in the field, <laughs> this is the way John Douglas describes it. I find this quite, quite funny. He says that when he went to go work in the field, the first thing that the FBI asked you, they said, well, what field office would you like to be stationed at? And he says, what you do is you tell them the one you don't want to be stationed at because they automatically will not put you at the one that you choose. Right. They don't give you your top pick. Yeah. So for whatever reason, wrestler did work at the Cleveland field office for the FBI. So he's a great guy. He says, of course, I'll come up there and I will help you guys out. I believe he worked with one or both of these agents on some other case earlier in his career before Amy's abduction. So he's doing them a favor. He drives up to the area. Now I want everybody to keep in mind Wrestler is really only involved in this case for a very short window of time, a very brief period of time. He's out doing his work at this American Academy of Forensic Sciences and basically drives up to Bay Village for a weekend. Now, while he is up there, one thing that is significant that occurs is the three of these individuals, these three FBI agents, they put together a profile of the abductor of Amy Mahalovic. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this takes place in January of 1990. So this is before her body is found. Wrestler says in his book, Whoever Fights Monsters, I wanted the police to look for a man in his late 20s or early 30s who was introverted and a loner, relatively unsuccessful in life, unmarried, not overly educated, but not stupid. This would be a man with no military service, but with a propensity for spending a lot of time around kids. His smoothness in conning Amy into the car argued for his knowing something about children and the way their minds work. 
He says, I thought it likely that a person who preferred children's company would not have put himself in a situation such as the military where male bonding is part of the experience. It might just be children of both sexes he was after, but it was more likely he sought out only girls. In either case, he would be uncomfortable with male and female adults. Wrestler felt strongly that Amy's abduction was his first offense because there was no record of any similar abductions in the area and because the abductor had exposed himself to so much danger by his phone call and by making the abduction in such a public place as the parking lot where many people could see him. Wrestler thought that the abductor might have conned Amy into his car, taking her to his home under the pretext of getting money or a greeting card of some such. There, he would spend time with her, maybe play with her, until she became frightened and started to resist, at which point he might have been convinced that he had to kill her. Wrestler told authorities to keep an eye out for a person who might try to inject himself into the investigation. Now, isn't there some belief that she actually made the call to her mother while in custody of this murderer? Well, I think that the way that the timeline works out, that it has to have worked out that way. I think that because she was spotted at 245, and then that's the time when we have witnesses saying that she's leaving the parking lot with this man or leaving the Baskin Robbins area with this man. Right. 245. Well, we have Jason, her older brother, who says he arrived at home around 3, at approximately 3 p.m., And he called his mom and said, look, Amy's not here. According to Margaret Mihaljevic, Amy called after Jason called. So that meaning that the call took place shortly after Jason called. Jason called shortly after 3 p.m., which, of course, is 15 minutes after she was last seen at the Baskin Robbins. That's a very troubling thing, because if you really break down that time and, and actually the shortness of time, let's say at the... At the end of the extreme, I would say you're probably looking at a 315, 320 call from Amy to Margaret Mihaljevic. That means the abductor, one, has her, and two, she's not very far away when that call is placed. Yeah, it also makes me think on the level that that he didn't know the family because there's so much room for error there. I'm going to let her call her mother. And if she does know this person, let's say, but you know, his name is Rick or Tim or whatever, that what if she slips up and says, I'm with Rick? No. And I agree with that. I've always kind of believed that this individual, the abductor and the killer somehow knew something about Amy or something about Amy's family, but the two Amy and him didn't know each other by appearance or by the sound of their voices. I've always just kind of felt that in my gut. I got, I got some things to base that off of, but it's not hardcore proof evidence of such. I've also wondered regarding this phone call. Okay. So during this phone call, Margaret says, you know, Hey, Amy sounded rushed. She wasn't very talkative. I almost wonder if you look, Amy, yes, she got tricked. And she got fooled into getting into this guy's vehicle and got tricked into meeting this guy at the shopping plaza. But we have to keep in mind, our victim is 10 years old. It's not incredibly difficult to trick a child, and that does not really suggest her level of intelligence. And in fact, Amy was considered by all to be very intelligent. She just made a mistake. What I think happened here is I think she was on to him. I think she had figured out relatively quickly, this is not what it was made out to be. I don't think I'm going shopping with this guy. I don't know the level that she thought at the time of that phone call of what her danger level was, but I think she was on to something that this is not what it's, what, what I was told this was going to be. That's not what seems to be happening here. And I wonder 
if at some point she says to the abductor as a threat of a way of trying to get herself out of his vehicle, look, my parents are going to be looking for me. Every day when I get home from school, I call my mom. I have to call my mother. Almost as a threat to him of, you're going to get caught for this, or, you know, you need to let me go. To which he's just, he could just be reacting to that threat and saying, all right, we need to buy some more time. Maybe I let her make that call. But I believe her to be under my control so much that I don't believe that she is going to give a description of me, or more importantly, like you said, if she did know the individual, give his name. I think he felt no threat of her giving his name, meaning she didn't know it during that phone call. Yeah, I agree. But I also think that there is a possibility that he did know her and he just felt like the communication with her was good enough and she felt comfortable enough. And they had this ruse of, hey, call your mom to let her know you're okay because I care about you. But make sure you don't tell her you're with me because we're going to we're surprising her. Mm-hmm. with a with a gift mm-hmm. that that's she still, could still be playing along and yes. still think that whatever still think that that shopping trip is going to happen yeah i mean this but there's also the possibility that he has her under 100 percent control meaning he could have a gun on her or the threat level is such no that but there, there was afraid. no you know the the mother i think would sense that and maybe i'm wrong because you know well, I'm she did. She did ass. say no, no, you're not. But, but she she did say she thought the call was strange. That she said it was short. It was short, and that she thought that Amy's mannerisms were were odd. Okay, okay. The, so that that would lead more to the idea that. Well, let me let me throw this idea at you. Mm-hmm. Okay, while not we're too t- hard. While while the crispy colonel is just mm-hmm. t- in the garage throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. Let me throw this at you. You don't even have to have a gun on the child. Let's play out this scenario. What if she's detected that something is not right with the situation? I've got to call my mom. Now, think about this presentation. What if this offender then goes on a different angle and portrays himself as some kind of authority figure and says, look, little girl, You've done something that you shouldn't have done. You know better. You're not supposed to meet strangers somewhere. Mm. You know better than that. I'm I'm starting to think that you learned your lesson. If you don't, you know, let's go ahead and make this call to your mom. You don't have to tell her what's going on because you don't want to get in trouble. I think you've learned your lesson. Let's go ahead and call your mom. You tell her that you're fine, and I'm going to take you back to your bike at the school. That's a whole different mind play right there. I don't know that he would have been able to come up with that on the fly, but we're also talking about an individual that has spent some time and probably consider considerate amount of time focusing in on how to trick these young girls mm-hmm. and calling different ones and trying to basically procure themselves a, a, a victim of some sort. So I, I've always really kind of felt that it's very likely somebody that is a stranger to Amy or that that doesn't mean that it's, he's a stranger completely to her family. I feel that there is a way that this guy knew that he was attracted to Amy. I don't think he was just cold calling numbers and hoping that some girl answers the phone. I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I think that he already knew somehow that he was attracted to Amy and she was somewhat targeted. I think the other girls that received phone calls were probably targeted as well. Mm-hmm. So I, the interesting that, thing, that's for, where we differ because I, I think the amount of calls that were connected were are no, very small. Right? No, no, we don't differ there. Okay. I feel 100% the same as you. I don't think that For anybody that has said that there were 10 or 20 or 15 or 25 calls, whatever number you want to throw out there, there may have been that amount of people that came forward to authorities and said, I received some strange call from some creep. I believe that, that maybe that number of people came forward. I just think that there's probably only one or two calls like the police believe that are in fact believed to be connected to Amy's situation. Yeah. So 
I've always felt, and I do know that that others feel this way. So this is not like a mind blowing experience that, that we're all having here today. But I've always felt that if you could figure out how this individual knew Amy or knew of Amy and had some of her information, but she did not know him, that's your connection. That's your way of finding this guy. Because unfortunately, we sit here and this year, on October 27th of this year, we're going to hit the 30-year anniversary of the day that Amy Mahalovic was abducted. And I also probably believe that he took her on a Friday. I think she she was killed by the end of the weekend and very likely dumped in that field sometime late Sunday night or early Monday morning. I think that the Friday is significant to him, to him, not to the victim, but to him. And he chose that Friday for a reason, for a reason that he didn't have to be accounted for for a good amount of time afterwards. And I'm kind of putting that as a a kind of a cutoff for this individual on when he decides that he's got to get rid of this problem that he has burdened himself with. Uh-huh. So I, I, I've always really felt that if you could find the connection on how he would have had her information or known something about her, you could finally trace him. Because as I, as I was, <laughs> I started down the road and I... <clears throat> I started down the road and I, I sidetracked myself. And you swallowed a bug. Yeah. What do I do? What do I do? Um, the thing is, 30 years later, the composite sketches have not worked. We've had a lot of tips of people calling in and saying, okay, I know somebody that looks like this guy, or I know some weirdo that looks like this guy. The items that were not found with her the day that she was found in the field have not solved this crime. The blanket... The curtain, here we are three years later, have not solved this crime. If somebody somewhere can figure out how this individual knew her, but she did not know him, that might be the first big lead we could get in in many, many years. The sad thing about our production, our little garage production here today, Captain, is there is so much to cover with Amy's case. Yeah, like like that's yelling at you we didn't even get to any suspects we got this could have been like a four-parter or six-parter uh well but but first of all i want to tell people we we did it well you did an interview it's it's our one of our best episodes i'm not actually on the episode but uh you did an interview and a discussion with james renner on the amy halavik case that was done in march 22nd of 2016 that's episode 22 you can find that on the stitcher app for for free just download the stitcher app and then on the left hand side you can scroll down the the years so Mm -hmm. you want to go to 2016 and he'll talk about his suspects but i mean he he names i'm going off a memory here but he names what three potential i think you told him to give his top three which were not his top three in in the book he wrote about amy right and so there like i said there's another two episodes of going through the suspects and and we will get to that at some point i mean we're not going to be able to, because we're at crime con we're not going to be able to get to that next week but maybe in the next month or so we can revisit um, well in in that episode renner says that dean runkle is one of those three suspects yeah. when i ask him for three and anybody that's seen the lake erie murders documentary knows that that dean runkle lead kind of uh takes up a, a decent portion of that documentary no it dean runkle is certainly an interesting suspect um but in regards to suspects a bit of an issue i had with trying to present suspects here today is early on in this investigation we have the then police chief of bay village say that this is before the body's even found he says, we have about 20 suspects that look good, that, that w- look good enough that they warranted further looking into, and they were in the process of looking into those individuals. When Robert K. Ressler came up to the Cleveland area and offered his expertise and helped put together that profile that we read today, he says that of the suspects that the police had at that time, now this is in January of 1990, he says, 
four or five of them look good. They, they look good for our profile that we put together. So 20 per the Bay Village police chief, mm-hmm. four or five from Robert K. Ressler. Now, I'm a huge fan of Robert Ressler's. I'm a huge fan of all of his books. In this book, it's a bit disappointing because he does only, there's only about five or six pages that are dedicated to Amy's case. Where I find the disappointment is he really honed in on one suspect in particular named Billy Strunak. Yeah. And later, Billy Strunak commits suicide. So Billy's not here to this day to defend himself or to uh, tell us that he's guilty of something. For for all the good you do to true crime authors promoting books, you sure are are very opinionated about their work. <laughs> well, I'm I'm uh I'm a critic of hmm. not just the writing, but I'm a critic of some of the cases. Look, we're <laughs> I'm not just a critic of the writing. Well, the handling of some of the cases and I can't it, wait till your book comes out. And I'm I'm not an expert and I'm dumber than most. Mm-hmm. But here's here's where I'm disappointed is when he, when he finishes with Amy's case in his book, he basically throws this out there and says, I believe that Billy Strunak killed Amy Mahalovic and it will never be solved because he committed suicide. He's dead. There's never been any similar crimes in that area ever since. And that's, he, he sells it like it's proof enough for him, mm-hmm. which is fine and good. And again, I'm a big fan of wrestlers, big fan of his work, big fan of his books, but Two things that I wish would have happened. And you're a real kiss ass too. One, I, mm-hmm. I don't think he should have put his stamp on that mark so much. Mm-hmm. And two, mind you, this profile was conducted in January of 1990. It was conducted before her body was found. I would ask wrestler if he were sitting here in the garage, would you have added or adapted your profile based off of information that was learned from the crime scene, from the dump site and from her body and autopsy. Would you have amended your profile? And if, if he says yes, there's chances now that Billy Strunak doesn't fit so well into that profile. And we all know that profiles don't necessarily solve crimes. They simply are a tool that some use to try to uh, kind of shrink down the suspect pool so to speak, so that you know who you should be spotlighting rather than others. So there's a lot of homework to do. One, listen to our episode, Amy Mahalovic, episode number 22, and then watch the Lake Erie murders. That's a fascinating docu-series. That that was two parts, right? Mm, uh, Three. Three parts, yeah, because... but. Don't watch the first one because you're not in the first one. <laughs> and that's why you do watch the first one. It's the best of the three. <laughs> <laughs> the best part was I was watching and I, I watched it part one and I went, well, he got cut out. He right. got cut out. And well, then, then episode two comes in and then your, you know, your, your ugly face hits the screen. I, I mean, scared the, I literally shit my pants and then you're in it a lot in the second one and in the third one, but it, it it was put together very well. Um, and it kept my attention the whole time. So not only are you encouraging everyone to watch the Lake Erie murders, you're encouraging them to have a clean pair of drawers close by or start off with dirty drawers. You know, why, why dirty more clean drawers? Well, we, I tell we joke, but I, um, Mm -hmm. This is this has been a frustrating week for me. I thought revisiting Amy's case would be something that I would look forward to because I am so passionate about this case. But it all it did for me was kind of stir up monsters and questions and anger that I've had about this case over the years for the last week. This is a case that we will revisit again at some point. As we said, we didn't get the suspects yet. And there are so many to talk about. Mm-hmm. I almost like in this case, people don't understand how the, just the, the sheer size of this case, because I liken it to like Delphi, West Memphis three, even Jack the Ripper to the point where you get involved in this thing. And unfortunately you realize that they're between 
you know, armchair chair sleuths and web sleuths and all the people out there that have looked into this case and provided some insight or theories and thoughts. When you really get in here, you start, start figuring out there are so many suspects to explore. And it's just the sheer size of this thing. And it doesn't help that it's been almost 30 years with no answers. And if you're looking for more Garage, True Crime Garage, get the Stitcher app. It's free. We have our old episodes on there and our other great show that everybody loves off the record on Stitcher Premium. Check that out. And we are going to fire up the old flying garage ship and head on down to New Orleans. So everybody that's going to CrimeCon this year, we are looking forward to seeing each and every one of you there. Safe travels friends all right until next week be good be kind and don't litter They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.